Hello friends, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 12 of So Poetry. Uh, I actually have a guest today, it's not just going to be me talking, uh, and I'm very thrilled about that, um, because I am talking with a relatively recent uh, poetry aerial friend of mine, uh, Kelly Pertel. Um, so Kelly, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about who you are and, and uh, what you're about? Yeah, so I'm Kelly Pertel. I am a, as Michael said, a aerial poet person. I am from Baltimore, Baltimore area. I grew up in like Arbutus, Catonsville area, if any anyone listening is local. Um, and I went to UMBC where I studied creative writing and literature, specifically poetry. Um, and I kind of like, I have an interesting relationship with, with poetry. It's definitely a, um, that studying it kind of was changed my relationship with it in, in ways that are complicated and not always for the best, but, um, <laughs> it's a relationship that has changed over the years and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come onto this podcast and have a conversation about it because it is a, a relationship that has changed so 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 you did were you writing poetry before uh studying it in undergrad yeah yeah i started writing poetry in i mean probably in elementary school if i'm being honest because i've definitely found poems from like third grade that are like super depressing and i'm just like oh my gosh oh what, interesting what was third grade me going through <laughs> um, but I also uh, was involved in the creative arts journal at, at my high school. We had a creative writing class that you could take as an elective. Um, so I took creative writing in high school and kind of fell into that n niche there. Um, I actually had a really amazing English teacher who totally changed my life um, because he had assigned we were supposed to write a short story for his class, and I wrote this short story. At the time, I was going through this atheist phase, and um, I wrote this short story that followed. It was written from the perspective of God watching the protagonist go through like this process of questioning her faith, and then ultimately, at the end of the story, she decides she doesn't believe in God, and then the story ends because he ceases to exist, and he can't tell the story anymore. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so my teacher loved this, and he compared me to Faulkner and read it out loud in front of the class. And that was, like, the first time in my life that I ever felt like, holy shit, I can do a thing. I, like, felt so empowered and felt... Like I finally had some sense of direction of where I wanted to go and I knew I wanted to study writing right away. And I actually ended up graduating from high school a year early um, and went to UMBC when I was 16. I started at UMBC. So I kind of like knew super early on that I wanted to study writing, um, which it was like the, one of the best decisions I ever made because I really loved UMBC and I loved, um, I love studying writing, but I, I kind of fell into tutoring writing, which really took the focus away from mm -hmm. in undergrad. It took the focus away from my own development as a poet 
and really put the focus more on like pedagogy and teaching and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a big sh- mental shift to make and, and really affected where I went uh, with my future career as an academic. So um, it, I've been trying to kind of come back to poetry years after, you know, a few years uh, after studying it, you know, having a few years away um, from that. But it's been a tough, a tough process. I don't have the best reading habits. Like I'm not super in touch with who everyone's reading these days. And um, that's kind of like, and who's being published. I don't know. And where people are being published. I don't know. Um, But I just kind of am trying to focus on developing my own uh, habits, I guess, as a writer is the best way to put it. I I feel like I'm in a similar ish boat, maybe because I um, I don't I don't know if this is the case with you, um, and I have not asked any of my other writer friends, um, so I guess you're you're a good uh, test case. Yeah. Um, I go through periods where I just don't feel like reading anything, mm-hmm. um, and I'm currently in one of those periods. I actually uh, at my partner's place over the weekend um i actually read uh some raymond carver poems and it's the first uh stuff that i've read in oh man uh way way aside from aside from the stuff for my writing group that was the like the first poetry that i read in probably two and a half to three months um and I don't know. It, I, I feel like there are periods where it's sometimes beneficial where I go through sort of uninterested unin- or disinterest in reading poetry. Um, Cause if it, it's, it sometimes coincides with me working on my own stuff. Like there was a, um, I was in uh, Nebraska for two weeks for a residency back in, Oh geez. Uh, I think 2015. And I had brought so many books with me. Cause I was like, yeah, I have two weeks to just hang out on a farm and read. And I wound up reading, I think, nothing. And I just, I just wrote. And it was, it was a really, uh, really like freeing and very sort of, uh, it engendered a lot of connection to myself because I knew that the, the 14 poems that I wrote over the, the course of those two weeks were solely my own. It was 100% my own voice because I wasn't being influenced by it. I, I have a, a tendency when I read poetry to sort of uh, bite some of the, the style and the language. Yeah. Um, and it was really gratifying to know that for those two weeks, the stuff that I generated was 100% my voice. And I'm, I'm really, really happy with the, the chapbook that, that came out as a result of... of um, of that time without reading but i feel like there's also times where it can be really detrimental because uh i don't know if if reading poetry does this for you but there's a um a sense of quieting and in stillness and when i go too long without having that i can i feel myself getting like anxious and jittery like i'm on too much caffeine (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's really it's nice to have that sort of i guess suppressant to come in and sort of like tamp things down and to almost yeah. it feels like my my insides are being swaddled 
and just kind of being put down for a nice nap and it's like you know it's okay and somebody goes in the other room and i don't know like makes dinner or something and i'm just like all nice and cozy and um that's wonderful yeah so yeah i i think like for me my my reading habits really changed in being an academic and going to grad school and like mm. still being on the on the the rebound from a master's degree you know I've that it seems like not that long ago but it probably has you know been it was just in December that I graduated so um but like I've been really struggling to like read any kind of nonfiction or fiction or anything since then um since just being inundated by literature and research all the time because I was not only studying working on my master's project but I was also had like multiple research assistant positions Mm -hmm. I was working on like a massive literature review where I had to read like 500 abstracts so um which I think I remember talking to you about because Mm I accidentally deleted her citations at one point and that was a nightmare but um (laughs) we all recovered but back to back to poetry I I think that what you described, though, of like that sort of being able to be more in touch with your own voice when you're not as influenced by other other poets is something. I mean, I definitely would identify with that and saying that I'm kind of in that place where I'm a little more. I feel that when I write something, it, it is it always comes out as being very authentic and genuine and like un, a sort of unfiltered, which is an important aspect of my, my sort of style, I guess, as a writer. Um, but I, I did appreciate like in, in thinking about where my influences like do come from, you know, I had to think about this concept of leaping poetry that I learned about in undergrad from my professor, Leah Purpura, um, and it's interesting to think about where those influences come from, but also maintaining that authenticity to myself. Right. Yeah. The, 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 the weird space between um, like mimicking and trying to write in the style of someone versus f- discovering a thing that they do that resonates with you um, and being able to follow a similar path. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually, fuck, I'm not sure what letter this, this is, um, and where you would even find these letters, but in, in the introduction to one of the many, many haiku anthologies that I have, um, I think it actually might be for, uh, narrow road to the interior, which is one of Basho's like first, um, like Haiga, uh, compilations that was published. Um, and for those of you who heard, Haiga is like a, a mixture of travel writing and um, kind of like personal essay and haiku. And it's a it's a weird hybrid um, form of writing. But in the introduction to that, there is um, a, a, a excerpt from one of Basho's letters to one of his uh, students, followers. I'm not really sure what the correct term is, um, <laughs> where he says, um, I think his student or so, someone had written to him and asked about, you know, like writing in the style of the like the the poetry masters that have come before them um and basho's uh 
advice to that particular uh, student was to seek what the masters sought. Like, don't don't do what they do, but try to like try to find the thing that they were trying to find. Because if they're doing things that resonates with you, then you will you will be walking a, a similar or a parallel path, but you won't be treading the same ground that they tread. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that because it, it kind of reminds me of this um, Robert Bly, what he starts talking about in this book, Leaping Poetry, is this concept of riding the dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and like riding the dragon, I, I, it's essentially riding the dragon is his metaphor for moving between the the seen and the unseen and the conscious and the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And it's a move that poets make is this leap that you can make between the conscious and the unconscious, the seen and the unseen. And like he, he's pointing it out, not saying like you should do this exact thing, but you should follow a, a parallel path essentially. Right. And when I, when I think about my own style, it has followed this, this parallel path of, being very leapy. <laughs> um, and uh, Leah Purpura's poetry is similar in that it's full of leaps, um, both intellectual leaps and sort of conceptual leaps and metaphorical leaps, a number of types of leaps. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like, I feel like poetry is really, as far as, uh, I guess like writing genres go, uh, poetry, I feel is maybe uniquely positioned to to be fertile ground for those types of like linguistic or um metaphorical or intellectual or philosophical leap like those those bounds where you can be talking and dealing with one image and then in the next line or the next stanza or the next moment you're somewhere else but it there's a there's enough of extra connective tissue and enough extra stuff I feel like happening around those moments in poetry to, to allow them to, uh, to be cohesive with each other and not seem like it's just scattershot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Bly kind of in this book, I mean, like he does go on a kind of some tangents that I just don't follow necessarily. <laughs> like, it, but he says that in the 18th century, there was no what he calls freedom of association. So there was no freedom to make those kinds of leaps in poetry. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is like, now we're in an era where we can make these kinds of leaps. We have, we can make these kinds of associations and by associations, of course, it's just, you know, by make, drawing these connections between things that don't appear to be connected upon, like, first glance, maybe. Um, but, of course, this was in 70, 1975, so that he was writing this. And I think that style is even more, I don't know, I, I, I just feel like it's, I see poets doing that a lot like making leaps through time in narrative poetry or um, just making leaps between imagery. And that's what I really love about these collective poems is that it forces me as a writer to essentially make these connections and make these associations and create an arc of association 
that a reader can follow. Um, you know, it's not just about like some sometimes the poems do turn out just like a list of random associations, but sometimes they like the coincidences and people's responses really do um, kind of astound me sometimes that cr they create these patterns and arcs of associations that to me seem kind of mystical. <laughs> um, but for, I guess for people who are listening and don't know, I um, have been, I guess since like January or so on my Instagram, I've been writing these collective poems using one of uh, Instagram's features. You can essentially ask your followers a question and get a response from them. So I've been prompting people to write short excerpts of poetry and then using all of the responses that I receive, I'll write one collective poem from people's responses. Um, and so it really does, as I said, necessitate the, the drawing of these kinds of connections mm -hmm. between associations that seem random at times. Yeah. And I, I, I really, really enjoyed reading the ones that, that you have um, that you've crafted, and I feel like the the sort of uh, serendipity that is involved in the the successful erasure poems, or even successful sintos, um, mm -hmm. is is there. Like you mentioned, that these these weird sort of copacetic moments between images that people have or, or lines that they come up with or just um, like a, a theming that that shows up that there's a um, I don't know like when when you when you craft them do they like once you have all of the I guess the com the composite composite uh, lines and the individual moments I guess when you start arranging them is there a like does it wind up arranging itself? Is there a sort of like once you get a couple in place, there is there sort of a a pathway that that just manifests in it, or it, does it require a significant amount of, of of placement and rearrangement and then rearrangement from that? It depends, really. Like sometimes they really do kind of just happen more organically, where um, even sometimes spookily, like the order of people's responses, I feel like are the best order. <laughs> um, so sometimes I'll even keep the, the, the same order of, uh, responses, but, uh, the, the process, I feel like that path really emerges once I start trying to draw the connections. And I, I have some examples that I feel like I can like read one of the examples and then speak to the actual process. Um, this one is really short, but it's a great example of how such similar imagery emerged in people's responses. Um, and it is like seasonal, it's contextual, but I think that's what makes it so interesting. Um, it's from about 10 weeks ago, I guess, um, which I don't know exactly when that is because who knows what time is. Anyway. Yeah, that could have been eons ago. I don't know. So it's called Finally. The Thaw. I feel my limbs, my eyes brightening, heart lifting. With the rising sun, I start again. It is warm on my skin. Delight to my eyes, seeing flowers bloom, the fragrance spilling everywhere. 
You must stop and smell the flowers, she tells the volunteers. Wet noses, fragile buds heavy with afternoon rain. Pebble lanes, petrichor, dogwood blossoms. So all of those lines were submitted individually. <laughs> like I I don't think that I really added much to this this poem. Um it just all kind of fit together in a way that was really beautiful <laughs> and really lovely. And it is there are leaps in the poem. I mean between especially the last three lines, pebble lanes, petrichor, dogwood blossoms. Um, I mean, that's, that's almost a haiku. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. I haven't really experimented. That's one thing I haven't really done with these collective poems is experimented with form. Mm -hmm. I did do that with my students. I, I teach, well, what I am an instructor at Stevenson university and was teaching a liter writing about literature and culture course. And we, um, wrote a collective poem in class, but we wrote a collective sonnet. So each student wrote, it was a very small class of like 11 people. So each student wrote a line and then I had three lines to work that I could write to, to try and tie the whole thing together pretty much. Um, which was interesting, but was that as, uh, successful as an exercise as your uh, collective Instagram poems have been? Um, I mean, not, not as much. I mean, the, what I really had an issue with was one of the students referencing drugs in their response, <laughs> um, which were like, it was obvious. Actually it was like more than one student, like ref, they refer, were like referencing marijuana and it's like, okay guys, come on. Like, one of them's like, the line is something about, I really need a salad. And the other line is like, when I get the green, I become less mean or something like that. So <laughs> it's kind of, kind of funny, but also like, really, guys, come on. Like, I'm your professor. Can we not? <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Instagram poems have definitely been a little more successful. And I've kind of fallen... I was doing them, trying to do them every week and I kind of fallen off the horse a little bit cause I've been focusing on my own podcast and, um, but I'm, I'm trying to get back to it. I, I wrote one this, this past week because you asked me if I wanted to come on to the podcast and I was like, yes, I should write a poem to like prime myself for this podcast. So, um, we did write one this past week, me and my followers, and that sometimes also people, and this happened this past week with this most recent poem, people will sometimes, instead of using a little question sticker, which really limits your response, like that is, if anything, that is the only form these poems have is like the length of that little question sticker on the Instagram story. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people will DM me and will just like dump an entire poem in my direct messages. Um, and I always use all of it because most of the time it's like pure gold and I am not going to 
like sometimes it needs to be edited down or sometimes I'll even mix other people's lines into, you know, within, within the, the stanzas they sent. But, um, yeah, the, this most recent one, someone did that and they sent me like three stanzas, three short stanzas that were all really beautiful, but, um, it did kind of, it gave the, the poem this, its essence, I would say, like without those lines, it would be a little directionless. And that's kind of how things fall into place sometimes with these poems. I think um, doing stuff like this, like being a more a poetry curator than a poetry writer uh, is a really, really uh, good way to work on uh, editing muscles yeah because <laughs> um, it really is it's like there's a there's a totally different uh, maybe not totally different but like there's a, a a a book of erasure poems or a collection of erasure poems that uh, my press will be publishing later this year and it was a really interesting experience to try to edit those poems um, because there's the like the the thing that i keep bumping up against being an editor is is do i want to change this line or let's say the order of these of these uh poems or you know like any any issue that i come across am i doing this because i feel like this is where the poem or the manuscript or the whatever wants to go or am i doing this because this is the way that i would write it like that that line like trying to figure out where that line is and I feel like when you have just lines that you can't really edit and, or, and maintain their integrity, you just kind of have to let them be in your job is more or less just sort of shifting them around and ordering them and, and, and just slotting one, one in one place and one in another place. It, it really forces you to work on those parts of your brain that are uh, creatively engaged but in a, in a, in a different, I don't know, it's like the, another perspective of, of creative engagement than the actual writing of, of a poem. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I, I feel like wh where I am now, I can definitely feel the parts of my brain turning on and turning off um, when I'm writing poetry versus when I'm editing poetry. I can, like it feels physically like different parts of my head are being engaged in the task in either in, in either of those respective tasks, which is a really really strange feeling of like shifting, like oh I'm going into this room now. I'm coming into like the the den versus being out on like the patio or something mm -hmm. uh, internally, which is strange. Um, it's a leap. Yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, but that's actually something like when we were when we were messaging earlier today. Um, and you mentioned the like the the creative leaps or leaping poetry. I really the first thing that I thought about was haiku because they're that's sort of the maybe not the core element, but that is one of the the, the hallmarks of haiku is that you have usually two images contained in a short in you know the the three lines mm -hmm. that there is no sometimes there's no direct. Uh, indication of how those two images interact with each other or how they're related it's just the presentation that 
these two things, you know, like um, the petrichor and the dogwood blossoms, like those are the images. And there's all of this implication and all this gray space around it that is free for you to kind of just fill in for yourself of mm-hmm. how these things relate you know, to you specifically, because you're the, you're doing the work to filling in, of filling in all of the, the unoccupied space. Um, and I'm, uh, I really enjoy poetry that, that does that in a way that doesn't feel, uh, condescending, that does it in a way that feels inviting, that it's like, you know, it's, it, you, you see, you see this leap and there is this sense of like, oh, you can, you can make it you know it's like yeah you can, yeah it's, it's a it's a small hop this creek's not super wide you can do it it's fine <laughs> um versus poetry like, holy shit we have to build a bridge <laughs> <laughs> right or yeah that like or a, a poem that makes a leap and then looks back at you and sneers at you because you feel unable to make that leap too <laughs> um like i oh. really i really fucking hate poetry that that feels impenetrable for the sake of being impenetrable or like yeah. academic or you know like gatekeeper keepery or whatever you want to call it of just mm-hmm. like there is a it's like um you know what it's like bright fucking yellow the color bright yellow for me is a very uh non-inviting color it feels like it's keep it, it's keeping people out just for the sake of keep keeping people out because it's like oh i'm cool i'm pushing people away or it's like a nice deep blue or like a deep red where it's just like yeah just come in just just hang out in me <laughs> that is such a poetic leap to make <laughs> right now <laughs> you're doing it already the leaping poetry thing um but but yeah i i think what you said about space i mean it it is i i try to sort of mimic I try to leave space between the lines, like on the page, which mm-hmm. makes it kind of tricky to share them sometimes because the font gets really tiny because I'm trying to keep space between these lines to like enhance that that feeling of of leaping, I guess, from from place to place, from feeling to feeling. Um, and to me, I mean, in these collective poems, that's part of the beauty is that you're like sort of rushing from one person's experience to another. And in this, in this book, um, by Robert Bly, he, he talks about some Pablo Neruda poems and how Neruda like, um, essentially hasn't there, the poet, Neruda's poetry has an arc of associations that reveals the sort of inner life of objects or corresponds to the inner life of objects. And I thought that was such an interesting, this concept of the inner life of objects and not just objects, you know, but also organisms and creatures and people and the collective poem like really enables you to sort of submerse yourself in experience after experience after experience and draw connections between experiences that at first seem sort of disparate. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's been a process of editing that is somewhat technical at times, but it, it has, as I said before, like somewhat been somewhat organic at times, uh, which has felt really wonderful 
<laughs> oh yeah, and I, you, fuck. there's so many things that are just piling up in my head right now. But um, the the ability to to move from like a person's from one person's experience to another person's experience to me is a um, a true hallmark of the sort of empathetic properties that poetry has. Mm-hmm. Um, that in in very few other forms of uh, art, and I feel like a spe- specifically uh, written forms of art, you don't really get that uh, that sort of invitation in, in the the warm or maybe not warm welcome, but this the sort of doors wide open uh, into people's personal emotional experiences that you do with poetry because that's yeah that's kind of, I mean it's not what all poetry is but the poetry that I really I tend to gravitate towards is very much the uh like the presentation of the experience that made someone feel a thing you know it's like in 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 that sort of roundabout way you get emotional transference because you you get the you get the experience and you get the um the sort of trappings of the emotion and then in going through it and following those steps, you, it pings the, the same similar ballparkish neighborhoodish feeling in you. And it's like, you're connected instantly in that moment when you feel the thing that the other person felt in that moment when in writing that poem, it's like, you're there, you feel it. And it's, it's a weird, like not, I mean, heart connection but not in like the sentimental potential connotation of that, where it's like you were, you were connected directly to the, the sort of core essence of that person in that moment of time. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a really, I think that's a really, really powerful thing. And I, I've been, I just, it's a, this is a thought that I've had sort of, uh, often, or I've had it numerous times and, I just now had maybe a different coloration of it that I wonder if one of the reasons why a lot of people tend to not engage with poetry is because they are uncomfortable or unwilling or don't have the experience or the vo like the vocabulary to engage with that level of uh, like emotional experience and empathy on that level that is sort of necessitated and required and very much uh, insisted upon by poetry. Yeah. I mean, I think poetry has some potential to, to sort of aid people in making those connections and in like in being more empathetic. I think it has the potential to increase people's empathy, but only if they get past this preconceived notion of what poetry is. Mm -hmm. And I've sort of, I have had to explain that on my Instagram story with doing this collective poetry in, in like warding people away from like, I don't know. And I've said this, like poetry is everything because I just want people to participate. Like I know people have words to share Mm -hmm. and, and, once they get past this sort of like, it's not intellectual sounding enough. It's not obscure enough. It's not cryptic enough. (laughs) Therefore it's not poetry. And, and once they get past that, it's like, 
they're able to connect with other people in a way that's more authentic, I think. And, um, it, it's been really special for me to, to receive a lot of the responses and to have the privilege to share them, I think is something that I haven't quite wrapped my head around because people have really trusted me and made themselves really vulnerable to me in sharing their responses. And then, you know, and they're protected by anonymity. And I think that that's probably really liberating for a lot of people, just being able to share something with, you know, a lot of people and not have their name attributed to it. And I think in that way, it makes them be more authentic in a way that enables them to connect with other people more. Yeah. It's like, um, like post secrets. Exactly. Was... Which you used to be obsessed with, I have like six post secret books. <laughs> I used to read that, uh, that blog every Sunday morning. Um, yeah, no, but I, yeah, I, I saw him talk once too. Ooh. Ooh, I bet that was a a singular experience. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think that you're. I think that you're right that the the ability to share without um, the ability to share within the the shadow of anonymity uh, allows or gives someone allowance to just kind of to say what they want to say without fear of reprisal or judgment or whatever because. In, in that, that sense of like, I don't know, pride with like a, a lowercase p, that they can, <laughs> they can see something that they wrote or something that they thought or a feeling that they had or an experience that they had can be not only shared, but woven into other people's experiences. And it can be like you, you get that, that experience of like, oh shit, something that I did or said or wrote or experienced or whatever lived is part of a thing that's bigger than just me you know it's like you're you're creating the 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 sum is greater than its parts scenario yeah it's really quite beautiful when you think about it i mean because and i can tell from the responses that i've received in sharing other people's words you know and people will message me and they'll express like how happy they are how much they love the poem and I can tell that it's like seeing seeing themselves as connected to other people's experiences, especially in the context of what we're going through now in yeah. 2020, um, has been really cathartic, I think, for a lot of people. I know it has been for me, too, because I've been able to sort of fit my own experiences into these poems and... And that's been very valuable and you know, and helped me feel more connected to people as well. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that was sort of the, the reasoning behind the, the, uh, episode 11 of, of getting past guests to like read something, like read a poem and, and knitting that into sort of like a long poetry reading of an episode. Um, just cause I was like, I, I feel like there's so, there's so much that's keeping people disconnected right now. Um, and, you know, like necessity that their people are, are largely disconnected or are being connected only through uh, digital or virtual means. Um, and just the act of like reading and like reading a thing that, you know, other people are reading is also it's like that's a weird sort of communal. It's like, I guess 
in the vein of roundabout emotional transference, there's a sort of roundabout like connection that you that you can get through that. Um, mm -hmm. But I did. There was a um, a point that you made um, that I wanted to kind of go back to. That you said that um, you having to explain to people that uh, like poetry is anything can be anything and and the the hesitation that some people have about to go it's not cryptic enough it's not obtuse enough it's not you know whatever which i feel like kind of goes back to what i was or at least my extreme distaste for poetry that is um yeah. like cryptic <laughs> or difficult for no real reason like if it serves a purpose in the poem and it is it is it is doing a particular type of work I'm here for it. It's cool. It's whatever. It's enhancing my, my reading of the poem. Just, you know, like, like stanza breaks, like you said, like creating enough visual space on the page for the allowance of, um, the, the space between moments or between leaps of, of images or, or whatever. Um, but that sense of the idea that poetry needs to be written in a way that is cryptic or is difficult to understand. Um, and the, the thought that I had when you were saying that is that poetry for me is illumination. It's not obfuscation, despite mm -hmm. the fact that there might be moments of, of heavily implied things or things that are, um, that are, yeah, like implied, not overtly stated like haiku. There's tons of impl implication in haiku. Um, but it is a, it's an inviting implication. It, it's it's a an implication that leads to discovery or leads to some sort some form of newness, um, as opposed to implying a thing for the sake of uh, like a live omission or whatever, of, or like leading someone to believe a thing. Um, and it really. I, I feel like the the poetry that I engage with the most, I mean, Mary Oliver is one of my absolute favorite poets. And like, she is aside from some run on sentences that she has, um, you know, like one sentence that lasts the entire fucking eight or nine stands of poem. Um, like it's not, it's not difficult. Her poetry is not difficult. It's very open. It's very plainly written. It's very conversational. Um, but man, the fucking moments that she gets to are just like, and I, I really do think that if, if her poetry was written in such a way that felt like cryptic or like arcane or like occult, that it's, it's this container of, of hidden knowledge, then, um, those moments wouldn't hit as hard as they mm -hmm. need to, or they do because, you're doing all this like scrunched up brow work to try to figure out what the hell she's saying. And it's like, no, this is what I'm saying. It's geese. I'm looking at geese. There's geese yeah. overhead. And it made me feel a thing. And that, <laughs> that's it. That's the poem. That's the, that's the poem. And if you can, if you can see, if you've seen geese and have felt a thing, you're halfway through this poem, you, you know, and that's, it's really, really wonderful to, to in, engage with, with writing like that, that, that it, that feels like free of pretension or free of this weird posturing that I feel like writers or artists sometimes gain or get that, like, they feel like they have to present things in a way 
because otherwise it's not artistic or it's not whatever. It's like, I don't just. Yeah. For me personally, like the, my style, I mean, and my personal writing, not the collective poetry, because I do still write poetry, like just for my own self, but my own personal approach to writing has to do with this like r- principle of radical vulnerability. So like being unclear and being cryptic totally counteracts <laughs> the effects of making yourself vulnerable through writing. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like, if you're not making, and I think that that maybe is, that's what it all comes down to is that there are poets who aren't comfortable being vulnerable in that way. And like, and they sort of use language in a way that is sort of defensive. And as you said, it, it obfuscates themselves and the truth of like the, the, the meaning. And I, I, what you said about illuminating, I really love the idea of like holding, like being a poet is about holding something to the light. It reminds me of this, um, Sarah Kay has a spoken word piece um, that I had my students actually listen to this semester, but it's sort of the the gist of it is along the same lines of um, essentially being a poet is, is not about essentially it's not about creating something new, but it's about taking something that already exists and holding it to the light and making it more seen. Um, and for me, that's what my my approach to writing has always been about making the unseen scene and making myself vulnerable through that process, like making my internal world external through this medium of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that reason, my my personal poetry isn't to everyone's taste because it can be very um, intimate and um uh, but I think that for me is part of this, as I said, process of of practicing vulnerability and connecting with with a reader in a way that helps them feel like they can be vulnerable too. I guess. Yeah, like yeah, like the the sort of the freedom that anonymity gives, like re, like reading a poem that the the poet is entering into a space of, of vulnerability and intimacy and because you're reading it you know like if it's if it's written from the first person it's like you you the reader is taking the the place of the eye in the poem mm-hmm. so you're sort of like they're there in that intimate space and it, it it like you said it gives them the um the allowance or the freedom or the the general like capital O capital K of it's like it's cool you can feel it like I'm feeling it you're in this (laughs) space it's like you can feel it too and there's there's something that you mentioned that coincides with a um, fuck I'm gonna I don't remember what the hell this this quote was from uh, Matthew Zabruder in uh, Why Poetry which I've only made it through like the first um, maybe like 40 pages of but if the first 40 pages are any indication of what the rest of the book is like, it is a, it's a fantastic book. Um, but talk, he was talking about, um, metaphor as the sort of like the language of poetry. Um, and that the point of metaphor is to not 
to to not say that one thing or to not equate two things but to give the sort of like the i guess the the space that's like one thing is this other thing it's like in those two images existing at the same time on top of each other like dream logic that's like two things are the something can be two things at the same time and neither of those negate the other one um but just thinking that like the the holding something up to the light um there's a, a a couple of lines or this shows up a couple of times in the the sandman comics the idea of like um the endless who are the sort of like uh i don't know personifications of forces of the universe um that their current incarnation is it's like if you held a a gem up to the light in each each time that the light glints off of one of those facets that's one of the that's an incarnation of the endless it's like they are a manifestation of a thing but not the thing necessarily itself um or just like a different perspective of that thing and in in holding stuff up to the light you can catch those glints and by using metaphor which is the sort of the the i guess the bread and butter of poetry you are doing that work of illumination of like in connection of of presenting things in different ways and and you know i mean like like not necessarily new ways but because all these images exist right it's a you're presenting it's like oh this image in this thing and this thing are the same thing like they're not they're not equal to each other it's like this this thing is this thing it's like it's the it's the same it's the um like a same emotional response or the same resonance that you get from one thing you get from this other thing and you know it's like it it illuminates or it opens up a, a space of like oh yeah I never thought about that before, but that, yeah, that's the same, I get the same feeling. It's, yeah, these things are, um, which leads back to poetry as, as illumination or poetry as, uh, like expanding your awareness and expanding your, your ways of seeing, um, Mm -hmm. and breaking out of habits of, of seeing or habits of, of existence. Um, Which I think that really reminds me of something that Leah Purpura said to us is that being a poet is a way of seeing the world. Mm. Um, and I think that that's definitely true. And, and it relates back to this idea of like the, being able to see, being able to be in touch with the hidden life of objects and this sort of hidden interconnectedness that metaphor allows you to tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is really powerful. And the reason that I really love poetry because you can connect these things that seem disconnected, but ultimately in, in being reminded of the interconnectedness of these things, like for me, it makes me feel like I'm part of something that matters. <laughs> yeah, which I feel like is a sort of, uh, rolls back to the uh, collection or collaborative poetry that you've been curating. That, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's like you, you are seeing that at the core of all of these experiences are these like deep running emotional states 
that you have access to and it's different like these things that these the the moments and the experiences that these people have are different manifestations of these real real deep uh i don't know like veins of water or veins of whatever that are running through everybody yeah that's no go yeah i um so i've asked other guests about this but i would considering what we're what we're talking about um and i guess like poetry as it exists on instagram um have you encountered uh i guess what what could be considered like hashtag instagram poetry or insta poetry um just in in your experiences on instagram not really like i haven't really engaged with that a whole lot like i share my own poetry from time to time and my the collective poetry from time to time on the on my stories but i don't actually share my poetry like as a post on my main feed so mm, okay. i'm not like using hashtags and it, that, that will it's not showing my poems aren't showing up on like the under the hashtag pages like when people search for hashtags and stuff like that so um i haven't really like engaged in that part of instagram which i was kind of curious about it for a little bit but i was like just never went there i don't know i just seemed it i'm I didn't really have specific reasons for being hesitant, but um, I, I feel like it would just, it makes sense that I would participate in that because I do participate in Instagram pretty fully and regularly, but um, it, I just never did go there. Do you have feelings about this? Is that why? Yes. And it's, it's been, it's, I'm, I'm ambivalent about it. Um, but I've been trying to figure out more and more recently why, like, objectively I feel sort of one way and then personally I feel sort of maybe an opposite way, maybe not the opposite way. Because um, objectively, outside of myself, like, if it's if it's something that people enjoy engaging with and it's helping them work shit out for themselves or if it's leading to a, a sense of community or you know like leading to just engagement with the arts or leading to like whatever like doing what poetry does it, it's 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 uh engendering connection and awareness and light and all of those things if that if it's if that's what the instagram poetry community and that like that style of poetry is doing for you that's wonderful. That's absolutely fantastic. Run with it. Take it as is. Stay with it as far as it you can stay with it, and that's it's beautiful. I, I I think it's absolutely fantastic. On a a personal level, um, it is really really difficult for me to engage with a lot of it, and I've been thinking. I've been trying to figure out why since like the first time that I encountered it, and I keep getting like little nuggets of greater understanding of why I'm not, um, why it's not really my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that we were talking about, like the, the deep, the deep running emotion, um, uh, that your collective poetry is, is tapping into is something that it reminded me that that was a relatively recent, um, <coughs> uh, 
a relatively recent uh, extension or relatively recent revelation that I had about why I, I'm not it's difficult for me to engage in Instagram poetry because most of the stuff that I've encountered feels um, very general and very sentimental in the way that sentimentality is sort of a shortcut to emotion mm-hmm. um, that it presents the um, like sort of not cliched images, but images that are sort of already emotionally charged to kind of trick you into feeling a thing without actually doing any, any of the work to get you to feel that thing. Um, which for me is just like it, it feels sort of an, an, anathemistic, an anathemistic to what uh, poetry, at least the poetry that I really enjoy does. Like you're saying, it's like it's getting into a space of vulnerability and intimacy and you know, like actually doing the work of, of whatever it is that you're doing to get into that space, to make it feel like it's earned. Like that, the emotion that, that shows up in, in, a, in one of your poems is an earned thing and not just a, you know, like you just sort of landed there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of it is the sort of generalization of experiences that I've seen in a lot of Instagram poetry where it seems like these people or the, these poets are having experiences but they're not presenting the experiences in a way that feels like it is truly personal to them. It feels more of a generalized you, mm-hmm. um, which is good in a sense because generalized things can hit a very broad audience because it will ping. It's like, oh yeah, I've, I've, I felt that. Or you're like, oh yeah, I, I know that feeling. Um, but for me, it feels like it, those are real, real surface um, in shallow in the sense that there's it's not like it doesn't hit deeper it hits somewhere like on the surface of your or on the like the upper or surface emotions and thinking about like mary oliver for example there are poem like she writes in a way that feels very personal it's very intimate it's very vulnerable um and she leads you into these moments that hit way 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 fucking deep and is created in such a way that that there's enough image and enough vibrancy and enough detail that you can see where she's going and you can like she hits this she hits this this depth in in a clarity and a let me see she presents an emotional experience with a clarity and a, a conciseness that allows you to say like oh I have felt a thing, like I have felt this deep thing, but the way that I have felt it is like I've gotten to it through a different avenue, but there's correlations. You know, it's like there's the same emotional resonance of, you know, like sitting outside and looking at the stars and looking at Orion that she has that leads to this moment that someone's probably had looking at, you know, like the ocean or some other thing that is immense. It's so much larger than you in that moment of like, oh shit, I'm really, really small in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it hits this, like, it's a very specific, very unique, very particular emotion that is a sort of like a, a feeler to this deeper well of stuff. And 
the goal is to get to that deep well of stuff and she has given you a very clear and very like uh vividly detailed map of how to get there and you're like oh I know, I know what some of these images are. I haven't gotten there the same way, but like, oh, that image is this, or like that, this Christmas of detail is this thing that I've, this other thing that I have. And it draws you in and it draws you down and it draws you deep to hit the sort of like core thing, which in the weird way is the more universal because everyone has those wells and those pits of deep emotion inside of them and you have to drill into it. And if you hit it, you can get everyone else's deepness in there whereas if you hit like broad and wide like you can you know you can get out there but it's i don't know it feels more more ephemeral mm -hmm. than it's funny that's what the poem we wrote this week was called <laughs> it's called ephemerality ah, oh. nice and like i'm 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 i love like impermanence and things that are ephemeral there's a i mean like there's a whole Japanese art aesthetic that's built on the idea that shit doesn't stick around forever. Um, and I'm, I'm all into that, but there's a, I don't know. I, I think that there's like, there's a lack of images and a lack of, of really specific, like, this is what this day smelled like. This is what this day, it was cold. Like I could, I could taste it. I can like, I can, I can be there with you. And maybe that's the thing. It's like, when I read poetry that like um, like Ted Couser or like Hirschfield or even um, Charles Wright, like I am right there next to them. I can see, I can feel the light. I can, I know what the day smells like. I know it's like I got bit by a fucking mosquito on the back of my leg. Um, but for a lot of the Instagram poetry, it feels like it's like there's no there's no solidity to the images. There's nothing to, to say that's like, this happened to an to the individual poet that is writing this thing. It just feels like this could have happened to anybody. Right. And like, I don't like, I don't care if it could have happened to anybody, then why the hell am I reading it? You know, like I want, like, I want to know why this impacted you enough for you to write it. If that makes sense. Yeah. I guess in your, in your perspective, it's like, that makes you feel more connected to them yes right it's like because you know that it's a more meaningful experience that happened to them but i guess for like more general audiences people do want to be able to slip themselves into each poem and like have it be generalizable enough where they can just like imagine themselves in that role without having to do that much like imaginative labor and I'm not justifying Ooh, yes. it, but like I think no, that no. that's definitely the the case for a lot of people, which I mean is sad, but uh, you no, know. No, no, I, 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 yes, I, I totally understand, and I, I agree with you on that point, and I, I think that, um, the, the sort of, so I'm um, an INFP uh, personality type. Um, and like authenticity of emotion is a thing that is very, very, very important to me. I mean, authenticity in general, but like specifically when it comes to authenticity of emotion and it, it manifests in like my empathetic response to other people. Um, but re regardless of that, I, I feel like that for me personally, I think that might be a main reason why generalized poetry, um, 
doesn't really do it for me because it doesn't like it doesn't feel for me that there's a sort of emotional authenticity that's happening in it it feels like it's just sort of like oh i mean which is not to say that the the poets who have written that have not authentically experienced the thing that has engendered the poem i i don't i don't mean to to say that but the the way that it is conveyed or at least the way that I, I read it and I experience it, it doesn't feel like there is that emotional core that feels like it's like, yes, yeah, this is it like it's true to the person in a so specific and so unique of a way that it feels like this is universal capital T truth. It's like this is the way that it is, um, which is a weird like being so specific and so personal that it becomes universal. Like I still haven't quite figured out how that works, but that's the like the movement for me that it's like it versus a a sort of like it's so general and so personal that it feels like it is it 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 uh rejects being universal because it is so broad and so wide mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's weird metaphysical shit that's happening within that um right and but... i think there's got to be a balance that can be struck somewhere <laughs> oh yeah but all of that to say that, like, I, I, I have not engaged with it so much, and it is, it's difficult for me to, to get on board with. But if, that's, if, if you're in it, and you're vibing it, and you're loving it, vibe and love it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really engaged with it either, like I said. So, um, and the collective poems, like, definitely haven't been, like I said, it hasn't been about, like, getting likes or anything like that, because I don't even share them somewhere where I can get likes. I right. just share them on my story where they they disappear after 24 hours. I do have them as a highlight on my story so that they aren't, they don't disappear. People can go back and read them if they want. Right. Um, right. But otherwise they are totally ephemeral. <laughs> well, and yeah, and I, I think that that's a really, like that in and of itself is a really unique thing that, that there's a, it's like, um, I don't know, like the, the stereotypical uh, ephemeral uh touchstone imagery of the cherry blossom it's like it's a thing that exists that you can appreciate in the time that it exists and then it goes away yeah and it's you know it's not it's not a bad thing that it does it's just it it heightens the appreciation of the thing when you can get it and you know i was just thinking i feel similarly but for different reasons about like linguistic or like language poetry that shit's really difficult for me to get into because it is totally not how like my preferred engage or my preferred way to engage with poetry is mm -hmm. like, I don't want to think about it. I want to feel it. Right. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my sort of life philosophy about everything and like <laughs> how I, why, why I'm on the path I'm on now is because I honestly can't internalize information unless I can emotionally connect with it in some way oh, so like i have a i've never really been good with numbers in any way because i don't connect with them emotionally like there's no emotional connection for me but like in any way with math and mathematical processes like it's just not something i'm emotionally invested in and never have been and never have been able to actually in make myself invested in so um, Holy shit! That might be why I, I hate geometry. I don't give a <laughs> shit about shapes. Oh my god! It all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and you don't connect emotionally with shapes. 
apparently so <laughs> i mean like give me colors i like give me a rothko i'm fucking there oh shit you know that that makes so much sense it explains well it maybe in at least in part explains why i'm i'm so i'm so uh i love rothko or and true it's weird like color columns yeah i love like, too i'm also this is a good time to tell you i'm also an infp Ah, <laughs> so but like um mondrian like the like the super geometric uh abstract stuff like i don't i mean it's cool i like i like the colors in it but the shapes that it's like i don't i don't care just give me a color field give me fucking rothsko's chapel mm-hmm. wow yeah. holy shit that makes so much sense oh my yeah God. so that's definitely I mean, my, my approach to poetry is, is marked by that as well. And like, I use poetry as a medium to express my emotions and process my emotions. Mm -hmm. And it's always been that way. And I don't, I mean, it's, it's fraught, that's fraught with issues as well, because it, it, it makes my relationship with poetry so much more complicated than just like, this is a thing that I do. It yeah. has so much more weight to it because it is this emotional process um but that's also just how i am as a person like there's very little there's very little boundary a very thin boundary between my external world and my internal world so like poetry is just like one sort of output of this filtering process that is I'm still trying to develop better processes for this process um, because I do sort of feel things very deeply and um, because that's how I connect with the world, you know, is through my emotions and not, and not through logic or some other like system of thinking, you know, mm -hmm. it's more, it's more of a system of experiencing and feeling. Yes. INFP. Woo. <laughs> um, would you consider yourself a poet? Um, I do consider myself a poet, but I don't think that I'm like solely or firstly a poet. Like I, I think I had to kind of come to terms a number of years ago with like the more that I got into circus arts and movement arts more generally, someone someone who I was friends with years ago sort of said to me one day, like, are you sure that you're um, a poet and a mover and not a mover and a poet? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, Hmm, I'm not so sure because at the time being a movement artist or a dancer or an aerialist, all of that was so new to me. And I didn't have the same level of confidence then that I do now. Um, and I had more confidence as a writer because I was still studying it and still doing it more. But it, as time has gone on, you know, I've sort of moved away from it a little bit. But it's always going to be a part of me and a part of how, again, how I think and feel and how I express myself. And it just might not be the primary focus, I guess. Yeah. And not to say that maybe one day it won't be or that maybe one day I will publish a book of poetry, but 
I also just contain so many multitudes, as Whitman might say, yep. um, that it's just there's a lot to to keep balanced. And I, I used to be really hard on myself, too, about, like, I'm not writing enough. And that person who actually who said that to me about being a, a mover and a poet, um, he actually he would wake up at like 5 a.m. every day and write for an hour. And I'm like, okay, who the fuck can do that? Like, I can't do that. And I've never, I've never been able to do that. And I was holding myself sort of to that same standard and sort of beating myself up pretty often of like, I'm never writing enough. I'm not writing consistently enough. And when I, I'm not flexing that muscle, I'm not working that muscle enough so that when I do write, it doesn't come out right. You know? So I, I, I've kind of taken a step back from that negative self-talk and instead tried to focus just on, like, it's okay for it to just be a part of my life, and I'm thankful that it's a part of my life. Um, and I'm I'm excited to kind of see how the relationship changes as the years go on. Yeah, and I, I think that, like, I, I've gone through some similar... Uh sort of internal positioning when it comes to a poet or being a poet. Cause I, I realized relatively recently that like, I don't really know if I would consider myself a poet or not. Um, I mean, I write poetry. It's a, it's a thing that I love doing. Um, but like you, similar to you, it's like, I don't like my, uh, my writing practice is <laughs> is real uh, fast and loose. Um, mm-hmm. Like I tend to not write unless I feel moved to write, which doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad that it doesn't because it can be really intrusive and really emotionally taxing. And yes. Yeah. Like I would get nothing if if I wrote all the time the way that I write some of the times I would get nothing done because I would just be lost on like a single word of a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. The two residencies that I have done, um, I've set it a goal for myself to write a poem a day, which the first time that I did it, I was like, this is impossible because, you know, I don't write regularly. This is going to be, I don't know why I'm doing this. I just wanted to see if I could. And what I realized is um, I only I only write when I feel moved to write, but there are things that I can do to sort of create an environment that the 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 feeling moved to write happens more often, or it's easier for me to slip into that state. Yeah, um, and I think that similar to um, what uh, Leah Purpura said to y'all that like being a poet is a way of seeing the world. For me, it's like being a poet is. Um, is a, is a way of existence or a way of being that it that you can you can be in the world in a, in a way that is being a, a poet if that makes sense yeah no i think that i think that leo would definitely agree that it's, it's a way of seeing the world it's a way of being in the world it's a way of existing in the world and engaging with it and like i said earlier like processing it um and sort of and this is something I've been thinking about more recently. It's like it. I feel like there's like this power in poetry that like enables you to tap into the the power of the unconscious mind. Mm-hmm. That I 
had this weird experience with with a tree, but I okay. You have to tell me all about this weird experience with this tree. <laughs> so, and I tried to write about this, and it maybe wasn't successful. I don't really know, but I was struggling to sleep because this podcast I'm working on was keeping me up at night, and I was laying in bed and it was like 2 a.m. and I heard the sound of a huge tree just crashing to the ground. And I like tried to look outside to see, but it was too dark. And I woke up the next morning, like fully expecting to see a tree like outside, right outside my house on the ground, but I couldn't, I didn't see a tree. And so I was kind of like, did I, was that just a dream? Like, was I, Cause I was like having super vivid dreams, just tossing and turning. Like I literally had dreams that I was recording my dreams for the podcast. <laughs> and so I was kind of like, did I, did I just dream about this tree falling over? Is this a real, real thing that happened? And later that day, my mom came outside and was actually down in the yard and she noticed in our neighbor's yard behind the tree line, there was a huge tree down. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, did the power of my dreams knock that tree down? <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was only through the, through writing about it in poetry that I was actually able to sort of like draw this more mystical connection of like, this tree falling down and me being restless and there being this unseen power that, and this unseen potential that I haven't really tapped into, um, which actually was one of the starting that started us off for the first sequence that we did with the aerial poet society was a line about, um, an oak tree falling in a forest and it being, a heavy reminder of the power of dreams. Um, and that was like the starting line of the, the power of dreams or whatever. And that kind of got everyone writing, um, which was an interesting process as well. So that, so earlier when we were talking about, um, just sort of getting prepped for this episode, um, I mentioned uh, tulpas, which are uh, thought ghosts or like thought entities that are manifested in the world either on purpose um, or accident through someone's like intense either emotional or psychic experience. Um, because I've been listening to almost exclusively last podcast on the left um, while I've been at work um, because no one else is fucking there and I'm just there by myself. Um, <laughs> And uh, there's there's a lot more occult stuff that happens than I thought that there would have. Um, and they mention because uh, the one of the more recent episodes they they uh, highlight uh, Jeff the talking mongoose from the Isle of Man from the 1930s, um, which could be a flesh and blood mongoose that learned how to speak, or could be maybe like a thought ghost or some entity popping in from some other dimension. But anyway, just the idea of like that humans could if you believe in the more esoteric occult aspect of the world um or in in the in of things 
that humans have the ability to sort of manifest um, their thoughts or their will in a way that is um, that reverberates out into the world. So, you know, like having these really vivid dreams, being really, really restless, um, maybe manifested in some way as the tree falling down. Or it could have been that, like, you 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 in this moment in this tree in this moment both in turmoil and both in whatever happened and like the a weird sort of synchronicity between the two of you that you both were experiencing the same thing and like the outcome happened yeah you know it felt that way except one of us well one of us got up in the morning the other <laughs> um yeah but like because they're they're um thinking of like Even like the the um, fucking the portrait of Dorian Gray, the idea that like there you can have a talisman, you can have a thing that can take the fate or take the punishment or take the something away from you. It's like something that is heading your way that you can divert to this other thing. So that could be a possibility too. That there is like there is something, something heading towards you, and you either directed it or the tree offered itself or there like again that weird like you both were connected to this weird thing and whatever it was happened bypassed you and went to the tree i don't know right. but that's it's yeah like, i did feel like i felt like this very strong energy like that whole night like it was very like i felt very connected to this tree that fell over <laughs> and my mom was kind of like are you okay <laughs> i was just like i'm fine it's just my mystical dream powers coming to light so, so there is a there is a chapbook that exists in your experience with this tree and i want to read it <laughs> yeah we'll see if i can just start waking up at 5 a.m and writing for an hour every morning oh, then no fuck that <laughs> do it at like 10 after you've gotten some like aerial practice done and you're eating like a late breakfast yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, that's 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 at least when I was in when I was up in Vermont at a residency, that was usually when it, uh, I would be up for breakfast and then I would go into my writing studio and just hang out in there until lunch. And that was usually between like nine and eleven thirty is when I got hit with the vast majority of my poems. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I want to. I do want to. I remember I texted my partner about this like after this happened and I was like, I want to tap into the power of my dreams. And he was like, what does that mean? And I was like, I was like, I just feel like there's this really intense energy in my dreams that I'm like not fully connected to because I don't always remember my dreams. And so my, my friends have suggested, my friend Aaron suggested uh, like lucid dreaming, mm -hmm. which could be a really interesting way to, approach poetry because i feel like there's this intuition that i have that i can't always tap into when i'm awake yeah um, that could be really interesting on on the page you know so there's actually a submission that uh my press got when i when i had open like an open consideration period where um it was a uh someone who has been practicing hypnagogic writing i think I'm, I'm hopefully pronouncing that word correctly but like the state between being fully awake and fully asleep the sort of like weird in between state um where she and one of her friends would do um either like she would just start speaking of things that came to her in that moment or would do like automatic writing while she herself was in that state 
Um, and it's just like, like tapping into to the unconscious state is a really weird. You get some really weird shit. Oh yeah, it's a bit. But yeah, I was I was gonna say I I was also going to suggest uh, lucid dreaming or um, I I did this for maybe the better part of a year maybe maybe not as long as that but I would um, whenever I would dream and uh, I remembered it like if I woke up and I could still remember it I would write as much as I could remember um, and over time I felt my ability to recall my dreams grew as I was doing that. Um, like the only pretty solid uh, and regular writing practice that, that I had for a handful of months was, was writing down my dreams, um, which worked, I think. Like I got some pretty interesting stuff out of it and I wound up being able to recall a sign- like greater and greater chunks for my dreams um, over, over time. So that might be an, an option for you too if you're, if you're trying to like at least recall them upon waking. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard that is the strategy is to just write them down when you wake up (laughs) or seems easy enough or since i feel like most phones have like a voice recorder just fucking like as soon as you wake up pop on the voice recorder and just let it go yeah that's a great idea my therapist has also been suggesting that i i record my journal because i really Mm. struggle with like just freely writing and journaling because i go like especially if I'm writing prose, I go into so much unnecessary detail and it takes me so long to get to like the actual point of like, I'm trying to get at this feeling, you know, it's like, it takes me so long to get there because I'm like recalling every detail of like the way something sounded and smelled and touched like or felt or, you know, so it's like, it's, because I studied writing, it's like my, I can't just journal like a normal person, unfortunately. Um, and which is fine, you know, it's, it's whatever, but she, my therapist suggested just trying to talk it out instead of, uh, trying to write it down, which like might, might actually help me. I haven't actually tried it. Um, so I'll have to give it a shot. Maybe I should record my dreams as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I have found for me personally, it is much easier for me to do, um, audio. I mean, hell, I started a podcast because of it that like, um, it's challenging for me to, I've, I've wanted to, and I've tried it many, many times to, to keep like a writing or journal writing practice. Um, but I get most of the time I, like you, I get slogged down in either like unnecessary detail or things are just like, I don't know. I, I feel no empathy for myself when I'm writing stuff. <laughs> um, and it also, it feels like it takes such a long fucking time to write out what it is that I want to write out versus, you know, like just recording it. Um, and I, I think that I feel like when I, when I write, it's more a, um, like a recapit- recapitulation of things that I've experienced. And I don't really make a whole lot of, new connections or I don't have a whole lot of new insights. Whereas if when I'm speaking about things, I seem to get hit with new insights and I I can connect and synthesize uh, stuff in a way that it feels sort of beyond my abilities when I'm just writing it. Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. 
Yeah, hmm. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that's that is the way that it is. I mean, it, it might be that. Um, wow. I just have a new thought, because um, most of the time when I when I do poems or when I when I write poetry, they sort of manifest in my head first, and I essentially sort of like talk them through in my head mm-hmm. before I write them down. Um, or I'll get like a couple of stanzas in my head and then I write those down and I'll get some more stanzas in my head and write them down. It's like, it is, it is really, really uncommon for me to begin like to write myself into a moment. Like most of the stuff that I, or I guess maybe probably 99, 98% of the stuff that I write, it is generated and, and manifests almost completely in my head before my pencil touches the page. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, I mean, my process is kind of similar in that it's like I I don't sit down and go, oh, okay, what shall we write today? <laughs> like, I, I definitely need something to happen in my brain first for me to think, hmm, that's worthy of being written down. And then yeah. that's when the process actually begins. Um, but... I mean, the process begins obviously with my thoughts, but right, yeah, the writing process begins once I decide it's worthy of being made external. Right, yeah, and then and then the act of writing is is almost like a court stenographer. You're just kind of there to capture what's happening. Yes, of course. Hmm. That's exactly how I'd put it. <laughs> um, so I had I had another question for you. Um, but I think I'm going to save it because I have an idea for another episode that I would like for you to be a part of that would be the entirety of the episode, I think, would be that question. So I'm going to save it, and I'm going to move on to um, the traditional last two questions of the podcast because um, we've been talking for a while, and I'm sure that you have things that you'd like to do with your night. Um, Mostly just go to sleep. <laughs> I, I can go into sleep super early and waking up super early like an old person. Yeah, but you get that's the best aerial time. Uh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I just like can't stay up past nine thirty anymore. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll make sure to wrap this up quick. Um, I'm also really enamored with the idea of you on your rig um, as the sun rises. <laughs> yeah, it has been that way a few mornings, honestly, because I like I have so much energy in the morning that I'm like I have to like get out there and get out some energy first thing so and it's been nice that it's been a little warmer so i can go out there first thing in the morning but because for a while there it was like okay it's 36 degrees i gotta wait till it's at least 45 to go out there <laughs> um <laughs> okay so the last two questions that i have for you are um the first well the first one is if you have the vocabulary for it, what is your internal landscape? Um, so I want to <clears throat> give a shout out to my current partner, Elijah, um, who, when we first started seeing each other, just would send me the roller coaster emoji repeatedly. Um, <laughs> to describe me as a person. And I think that 
that is a pretty accurate i mean that's sort of trite yeah but it is an accurate metaphor of what my internal landscape is like because i actually have uh bipolar disorder so or manic depression is kind of what i prefer to call it um and so i experience a lot of fluctuations in energy and mood level throughout the day like let alone throughout like a week or a month um so it definitely is a roller coaster and and poetry like i said earlier kind of helps me process a lot of the things that i'm feeling and experiencing and if anything i do need to get better about sort of using it as a tool to help me sort through my feelings when i become overwhelmed um by this internal landscape um, because as I said earlier, it's like this, the boundary between my internal landscape and the external world and other people is pretty thin. Um, and I don't always do a, a good job of protecting myself, although it does make living more vibrant and interesting. Um, it can be riskier, like living in a way that makes you so vulnerable with others, um, but that is my internal landscape, a little bit of it. It is kind of a, it is a roller coaster, but I also would like to use this metaphor from Robert Bly now and say that it's kind of like riding a dragon. <laughs> so I was, I was going, going to ask, is there a particular roller coaster that you have been on that you feel is a, a good uh, analog? You know what? I've never been on a roller coaster that has a loop in it because oh. when I was a child, we were at this theme park, uh, Dutch Wonderland, and the roller coaster we were on broke down, and we were all trapped in the seats. And it wasn't a big roller coaster or anything, but I was the only one who could get out of the roller coaster. Like the seat, the bar was so far away that I could just slide right out. And since then, I've always told myself, if I go on one of those roller coasters that goes upside down, I'm just going to fall right out. So it's like, I know it's not real or true, but like <laughs> that I never, I haven't been to an amusement park in years, so I haven't been on any roller coasters lately, except for my own emotional, mental. <laughs> I wonder, like, I wonder if, so two things. One, I wonder if the fact that you feel like you have an internal roller coaster would make you more or less inclined to actually ride roller coasters because the <laughs> the experience of riding a roller coaster, it's like you, you live that, I'm assuming, like, hourly. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty much. <laughs> huh, that's, wow, that's interesting. And two... Um, there is, I don't know if it's still there, but, uh, at Universal Studios in Florida, uh, there is a, uh, roller coaster called Dueling Dragons, um, which when you were talking about roller coasters and riding the dragon, I immediately thought of that one. Um, so I would be also interested to see if you ever make it down to Florida and happen to ride that roller coaster, if that one, um, that is the roller coaster. <laughs> that is inside my soul. That is kind of what living with bipolar disorder is like. Is like having dueling dragons inside of you. 
one of them's made of the ocean and the other one's made of fire. Hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting that you that you equate the fire and, and water to the or fire and ocean to the dragons because that was like, you know how, um, like elements are sort of paired up, like fire and water are sort of a, a thing, and then earth and air are sort of a thing. Um, it it may it makes intuitive sense to me how fire and water are related more so than how air and earth are related. Because um, the way that I see it, that fire and water have the same, it's the same intensity, it's just different directions. Mm-hmm. That fire is up and out and explosion and heat and, you know, like explosion. It's, it's, it's energy up and out. Whereas water is energy down and in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the, like, the crushing pressure and the darkness and the coldness and whatever because it just drags you in and drags you down. Um, so yes it, it, here obviously the ocean is the depression yes. <laughs> part of manic depression yes i, I would assume so the mania part um there's a great book by k redfield jameson called touch with fire and it's about the the incidence of bipolar disorder in artists uh like throughout history so she like does this survey of artists throughout history and like talks about their sort of mood disorders and stuff like that um so it was kind of interesting and that was a book i read pretty early on that really helped me understand my creative processes and how it relates how these creative processes relate to my mood and my energy level um so it's been it's been a a journey of figuring out how to regulate those things in a way, how to regulate my energy and mood in a way that sort of enable the creative process in a healthy way and not in like a super manic way that eventually breaks me and burns me out um, or puts me in risky situations. So that I imagine is a very exhausting uh, or has probably been a very exhausting uh, experience and journey to <laughs> to get yeah. there. Yeah, I mean it has been, but and like it is on a daily basis. But at the same time, it's also really energizing. And I mean, it comes back to this idea of like vulnerability for me. It's like it is scary dealing with so many emotions on a daily basis, but like in being able to share them with other people and express how I'm feeling to other people it helps me sort of share the weight of what I'm feeling um, Mm. to share like the, the burden of what I'm feeling with others, um, which I think is very valuable. And um, poetry sort of enables me to do that in a way. That's really lovely. Hmm. Um, And my, uh, my last question for you for this podcast is, do you have a question for me? <gasps> sky's, you... the, sky's the limit. Anything that you'd like to ask. What are you working on currently? Like, what's your big project right now? Um, the big project right now, uh, as far as writing goes, uh, is the is a manuscript that I've been working on for, I think, the better part of, like, oh, geez, like two years, maybe? Maybe a year and a half? Um 
It is a collection of, of poems that are all uh, titled the name of a, a different bird. Like each poem has its, its respective bird. Um, and the poem that follows uh, is the sort of like, I don't know, like emotional. Uh, the, 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 it's the, the poem that follows is the same emotion, hopefully, that the bird, thinking about the bird engenders in me. Um, but it's all poems about like um, my body and a little bit about my sexuality and being like uh, gender void in a uh, masculine presenting body and like what that means and what like because I, I feel not so much right now just because it's it's I'm not like thinking about it a whole lot like actively thinking about it a whole lot but I have felt and I imagine will probably continue to feel once I have sort of the internal bandwidth to not think about corona and uh, quarantine and all of that um, about the disconnect between like feeling a thing internally and, and the sort of uh, emotional and internal connection that I have to that and, and how I feel like it's manifested in all the different aspects and facets of my life and then to be in a body that cannot really physically manifest what I feel inside mm -hmm. um, short of like surgery um, on, on the sort of extreme end um, and just like the the sort of space of that conflict or the space of, of that interaction of like what is it what does it mean what is it what's it feel like what like I, I don't know um, so that that's kind of those I wrote a, a significant number of them um, a while ago and then I've had I've hit sort of a dry spell um, but I, I think that they're probably on the verge of coming back um, I've been dealing with a lot of not dealing with I've been I've been doing a lot of like uh, press stuff recently um, and it's really difficult for me to be in to maintain two different creative states at the same time uh, mm -hmm. it's I, I'm shit when it comes to a multitasking on a creative level um, and the the stuff I was doing with my press was really really time sensitive and it, it kind of took all of my focus um, but now for by and large that's most of that stuff is out of the way and it, the the new stuff that I have is is more like manuscript reading and editing um, which is at least more adjacent to poetry writing than doing a layout is right um, so I'm I'm hopeful that it will start coming back um, and I can get this manuscript done because there have been a lot of really cool uh, contests and submission things that I really wanted to submit to um, that I haven't because I'm, you know, like eight or nine poems shy of, of <laughs> the minimum amount that they need. Um, but uh, the other... Hmm? I said you'll get there. Have you written a poem about a house finch yet? Um, you know, let me see. There's a, I asked because there's some house finches nesting on our front porch and they have s six babies. Oh, damn. It's little, like little teeny tiny birds that are like, you know, the size of like my thumb. Yeah. And they've popped out six babies in the past like week. And some crows came and tried to steal their eggs and 
it made my grandmother so upset. Like she like almost panicked because she was like trying to chase these crows away from the, the house benches. Did the crows make off with any eggs or they just attempted? To no, no. My, my grandmother scared them away. <laughs> <laughs> She's scary like that. Uh, my partner has a robin that is nesting on one of her uh, second story windowsills. Aww. And she's been putting, whenever the, the robin flies away to go do whatever robins do when they're not on their eggs, she's been putting, um, like, mealworms out on the windowsill for mm -hmm. it. Um, and I do. I do have a poem uh, about, or at least is titled, uh, For the House Finch. Nice. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I. It was one of the ones that I was like, I could read this, but there are some at the time I didn't realize were problematic areas, but once I gave it to my writing group and they uh, illuminated some problem areas that I have not yet edited. Um, uh, okay. So, um, yeah, but I have, oh fuck. I don't want to count all of them. Um, I have like close to 20 maybe. Nice. Um, but yeah, so I'm I there I have a bunch of like I've been writing a, a lot of snippets and a lot of notes for poems that haven't yet manifested into the poems themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm it really is just sort of like I'm waiting for the the day that I can just sit and it just hits me and I don't have anything to do and I can just write because um, like some, most of the days off. So I'm the the shop that I work at is still able to maintain physical operations. So. Um, since like the quarantine happened, I've still been going into work. Yeah. Um, and most of the days off that I've taken have been um, eaten up by like going to uh, uh, my Subaru repair shop to get a new tire or, um, you know, like trying to get my internet changed because my bill went up some, you know, it's like, it's, it's lots of like weird menial shit that just leaves you drained. I'm like, I don't fucking want to write now. Right. Um, but yeah, so that's that's on the writing end. Um, on the the press end, I have like a bunch of books that are going to be coming out relatively soon, um, in the next couple of months, um, because uh, like because of the <laughs> the stay at home orders and stuff, uh, most of the launches that I had planned haven't really manifested because nobody can go do anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just I have. Uh, two kind of in the chamber and I have two more coming up that I need to start doing significant work on um, that will all probably be coming out at some point like in the summer because um, we've blown through spring already but um, yeah so I'm things are keeping busy but I was I was talking to one of my co-workers on the phone earlier today and it's it's weird that um, like some days I feel pretty good and I feel like normal adjacent and then other days it just hits me and i'm like i don't want to do anything like i've, I've been needing to email the printing press or the the printing company that i i, I uh outsource the printing of my books to to let them know that i'm ready to print a book and it was you know it's a very simple email it took me all of like two minutes to write today during lunch but for the last week i was like i don't i feel incapable of of generating this thing um, yeah, it's just sometimes those small tasks seem so big 
And I think now, especially, it's really important to be patient with ourselves as we work through the processes of doing things that maybe seemed simple, you know, four months ago, but now seem like such big tasks because all of everything that's going on in the world. Yes. Yes, I'm, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and I think on that note, um, I think we're going to wrap things up. Um, thank you so much for, for uh, being willing to, to sit and talk poetry with me for almost, almost two hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was nice. I haven't done anything like that in a long time. So. Me either. It's, it's nice to, one, not only t- talk to someone, someone else again. Uh, this has been really lovely. But also to talk poetry. I've, I've missed having, having guests on, um, on the podcast. So this, this is a really, really nice change from the, the last couple of episodes. Um, and I would like to th- say thank you to all of the listeners, uh, the audience ship that out there. Um, I've been keeping tabs on the SoundCloud, uh, and I've seen, seen you in Ireland, in Bulgaria, who have been listening. Um, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, it's still wild to me that one of like the most recent episode has been listened to I think over 200 times. That's a, <laughs> still astounding to me. Um, so so thank you. I'm I'm deeply deeply grateful. Um, and I would just like to reiterate something that Kelly said. Just like everyone's going through shit right now. Um, it's weird to think that like everybody in the world is, is experiencing, if not the same thing, something adjacent. To the same thing um that's a it's a really wild thing to think about um but i would like to reiterate what kelly said and just just be patient it's tough and even if it doesn't feel necessarily tough for you right now it's like it's you have all these external pressures on you just give yourself some time give yourself some space just be patient be compassionate with yourself yeah you'll get back into the swing of things whether you like it or not eventually and you know <laughs> you can use now to like build up those skills of being self like of self-compassion and and self-patience and um yeah but um thank y'all all so much for listening and i will talk to y'all next next time